Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the first ever annual Pulp Kitchen Awards. Hello, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats for this year's Pulp Kitchen Awards. Today's host will be myself, George, and myself, James. You may know us from Pulp, <laughs> Pulp Kitchen. Kitchen Podcast. <laughs> we wanted, as ever, to end the year with a look back at the year that has been 2022. It was Everyone at the end of the year is putting out stuff saying best of, our favourites of, so many great things came out we want to look back at all the great tv we watched the great films we Mm. watched all the things that caught us by surprise things Mm. that we didn't like things that just those little moments in film that we go holy shit how good was that if you are listening we are wearing suits we're suits dressed up from the occasion we're live in front of five thousand people (laughs) and millions across the world hello new york and our sponsor (laughs) is not yet but we will get one so i do the eurovision thing of like hello Hello, Europe. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We're, we're like... Javier Bardem is here, and his wife is also nominated. But if he wins, no, if she loses, he can't win. <laughs> um, Uh-oh. Yes, we wanted to do an end-of-year review, because that's what we want to do. I mean, look, 2022, on the whole, has been a challenging year in terms of worldwide stuff, but entertainment and art and film content... Back with a force. ...has been back with a force. We're, this is the first proper post-pandemic year fingers crossed yep and we wanted to celebrate that and there aren't that many films out apart from avatar which we covered last week currently right now exactly so we've seen as many films as we can towards the end of the year and we thought instead of leave you dry from the christmas to new year period we thought we would give you this roundup Mm. of 2022 talk through some of our best picks and as always when you react to these please send us in an email tell us what some of your best things were what was your favorite film which director did you fall in love with favorite music any of that yes send it our way we would love to hear it that's the thing even if it wasn't even a new film this year i'd love to know like you know what i got into kurosawa this year yeah it sounds more exciting than that you might be listening to this in this sort of weird Christmas, New Year, in betweeny bit where you're you don't like know what day it is. scraping the turkey leftovers into a curry, or you're, you're going for a <laughs> run to try and burn off the 10,000 calories we've all consumed over the past few days. Yeah. But anyway, without further ado, James, let's get on with our ceremony of today, our Pulp Kitchen Awards, with the first category Best Trailer. So, my best trailer for this year was the trailer for Jordan Peele's Nope. Lovely. Yeah. We had already seen that Jordan Peele had created his own brand of psycho surreal horror based around racial elements with quirky visuals. And then you get this trailer, and I'm going to pretend if you're watching this that you don't know that Jordan Peele is doing this film. Mm. You get Kiki Palmer being charismatic with Daniel Kalea saying, Our great 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 granddaddy was the first guy to be filmed on a horse. Mm. So ever since then, We've had skin in the game. And I never so saw, uh, you, get, you cut to their huge ranch where they wrangle these horses and the music just turns down. And the trailer stops and it goes dark. And there's a wide exterior of their house in that valley in the middle of nowhere. And then a white crawl from the top of the screen comes down and it says, from Jordan Peele. And every so often everyone's like, oh, this is a Jordan Peele movie. Exactly. Of course it is. Q. Very evocative imagery. Shots wide of Danny K. Lua running away. A little sight of something darting between the clouds. We have mixed opinions about that actual movie. But as a trailer 
fantastic. I totally agree. That was going to be my trailer as well. So oh, was it? We, we, well, there you we, go. We, we've, we've, we've teed it off with one in the other. And I, I have nothing other to say except everything you said. I agree. And also when we watched it, because I think you showed it to me on this show. I think we did, yeah. And you were like, nope, you know, not off planet Earth. That's what, you know, it could be. Yeah. And loads of like little glimpses of just really strange... Mm. And that's unsettling things. Yeah. It felt like it was being... And people uh, looking up, right? People looking up. Lots of just things that seem to be on a much bigger scale. I was very excited And for we've it. spoken about, on the show many times this year, about how trailers show too much. Yes. They don't tease when they should actually do... That's the main point. Yeah. This one was a hell of a tease. And, you know, teaser trailers are always actually the best kind. Um, like... Oppenheimer, another great teaser yes. trailer. Um, Barbie, we talked about recently. I thought the Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer was I mean, very that, that, so that Yeah, that's a full proper trailer. Yeah. And that, considering like, I don't have that much feeling towards the original one, no. that made me feel pretty moved. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's been a good year for certain artistic elements in trailers. Jordan Peele, come up and get yeah, your award. award. Jordan, Jordan couldn't be here tonight, but sadly, um, we will, we will, we'll look after it for him until next year. Invitation got lost in the post. James, the award I'd like to give in the next category is for best scene in a yes. movie. Yes, okay. We've, we've had lots of great scenes this year. Exciting ones, moving ones, mm -hmm. scary ones. But the scene that I would like to point out is one in a film which I haven't spoken about much, but you have. And it's one that you yes. reviewed on this film and you recommended to me and I went and then watched, which is a film called The Worst Person in the World. Yes. So I know of the scene you're about to speak. <laughs> even without me describing yes. it. Yeah. So... Uh, for those who don't remember, The Worst Person in the World is this Norwegian film from Joachim Trier, um, which came out earlier this year. And it's about essentially uh, a woman in her 20s, her life from um, sort of 20s um, uh, disillusionment to m maturity into her early 30s. And it's told in sort of episodic stages with numbers. A lot of it is to do with her identity and also her sexual identity and her relationships. And the point of the, in which in the film in which this scene occurs is about 30 minutes, 40 minutes in. So if you're really hot on spoilers and you don't want to know anything, then, then, then stop listening. But uh, at this point in the film, Julie, the main character, played by Renata Reinsvay, has is with her boyfriend. She's, she's in an established relationship. And they're at an event in Oslo in the summertime, which just looks beautiful. Mm. And he has to hang back for something. And she sort of wanders down. And he's very... He, Crucially, it's his event where he's the center of attention because he's a cartoon artist and everyone's sort of celebrating him. And so she's sort of hanging on a little bit. And she wanders down into Oslo and it's sort of sunny in the setting. You mentioned this in your review and she's walking past all these other sort of social activities that are happening. There's a party, there's people, you know, uh, um, you know hanging out. And then she walks past this one big, big party, um, which soon, soon becomes clear as a wedding reception. Yeah. And she just walks in and she just enters and the scene that then occurs, which I think is really brilliant, is that she, you know, she grabs a glass of wine, she starts talking, and pretty soon she immediately catches the eye of another young man there. And it's clear they have immediate chemistry and they start talking and flirting. And they are, they become very apparent very early on that they are both in relationships. And they talk about it and they're like, look, you know, oh, I can't do anything, you know, I can't do anything. And then you have this scene where they knowingly and playfully explore the line of what is acceptable for them as two people who are already in separate relationships to do together when they're not themselves a couple. Yeah. And they have this, for example, <coughs> she leans in and like smells his armpit and he goes, and he laughs and they, you know, they're drunk as well. So they, yeah. they say, yeah, that's pretty playful. So they smell each other and then they drink from each other's drinks. And you have this sequence of increasingly intimate 
things that they do and along like this line. in the room line. with where the coats are, so no one can yes. see what they're doing, but they're kind of in the party, but kind of yes, not. Yes, exactly. And they're becoming yeah, increasingly um, separate from the main activity of the party. And and the tension and the and the the um, enjoyment is watching them walk this line that is incredibly like on a wider social point. It's something that you could discuss. I mean, you and I have and like with friends, we've talked about like that whole idea that's happening in that scene about preting, right? Which is you know this idea ways in that, which yeah. people behave that they wouldn't do in front of their partner, but yes. it's not technically on paper cheating, but yeah. emotionally yeah. it probably is. And, and the way some you people, feel is probably so cheating. Watching that scene for some people might think that Julie crosses the line, but for others might think that what she's doing is absolutely fine. Yeah. The reason that's my favorite scene is because when I saw that, I thought I've not seen anything like this. Actually. Never seen it. I've never before. seen this. I was, this is really new. I've not seen this played out. And there are lots of great things in the worst, worst person in the world a film. I think probably you like a bit more than me. I don't know yeah. that I dislike it at all, but I loved it. Um, there are there are really strong moments, and that is particularly one of them. And I left thinking oh, that really stayed in my mind. Yeah. That scene. What a what an interesting little moment um that's my favorite scene of the year and the way in which they say goodbye it's now the early hours of the morning yes. you know drunk and they're both realizing you know the day has come the yeah. truth of, of tomorrow yeah. has occurred and they're both just like walking away from each other and they look back and he's not looking back but then she turns away and he yeah. looks back which is almost a cliche but for that it's so yeah. well done and mm-hmm. I, i'm actually glad I, I was gonna choose that scene but didn't but i'm so glad that we've been able to talk about it because mm. it's an incredible scene and just uh it was that kind of writing that made me think oh this film just feels so honest yeah. and so real and even though it deals a little bit in the mm. slightly heightened uh creative world where there's that moment where everything freezes and she yes. runs through and it's yeah. a little bit 500 days of summer like we said but not oh quite. my god yeah yeah um but yeah what what an incredible scene to yeah. escalate that movie into a new category for I, me i think if you haven't seen worst person in the world and you and you like those kind of like character studies that are kind of like funny sad um study of you know young people that I definitely give it a watch. The, the restlessness re- of a relationship. For me, without spoiling it, it's that the second half I found uh, took a, a, a narrative direction in regards to the, the fates of one, of one of the characters in it, which yeah. I felt made the film about, uh, almost changed the subject of the film and was a bit sure. distracted from the main thing. But on the whole, very good stuff. Great acting in there, not only from Renata Ryan's way, but, um, oh, I can't remember his name, but he, uh, the, uh, the male actor who, who plays yeah. her, uh, um, her actual boyfriend in that scene. Um, it's classic, like, really honest performances from, like, a Norwegian language film. It just yes. feels very authentic. And, and I real. definitely want to see out um, uh, uh, Joachim Trier's other stuff. But, James, what is your favourite scene? So that was it, sorry. So uh, Renata couldn't be here today. Joachim Please, Trier, come on. <laughs> that is the scene of my favourite scene of the year. Worst she's behind the, the camera. She, she's too shy. She's a shy actor. <laughs> James, please tell me, what is your favourite scene? My favourite scene is a scene which I have spoken in detail about on the show, and I think it's probably one of yours as well. My favourite scene is in a film called Men, and you know exactly <laughs> what scene this is. This is the turning point in the film about... 20, 25 minutes in, and it is the train, abandoned rail yard train yes. tunnel scene. This scene was absolutely horrifying. It's the, it's the first introduction of horror, the introduction of the threat. It takes the lovely, romanticized, beautiful, pastoral, uh, uh, positive elements of the country and completely flips it and reverses it in one quick motion. What 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 was the joy and solace of isolation becomes absolute terror and fear mm. and just that need to run away and get into civilization. It is this moment where she is escaping from her sad life in London, comes into the countryside and goes on a nice country walk in this new house that she has rented. If you've listened to my men review, you've heard this scene. And she goes towards this abandoned railroad and looks into the dark black void of a tunnel. 
and she starts realizing that there is a huge like echo where she says something into the tunnel, it sort of comes back. So she goes, ah, ah, and then comes back as, ah, ah, and she realizes she starts playing with these tones. Ah, ah, ah. And then what she hears at the end of the tunnel is a sound that comes back and it's, ah. yeah. And at the very end of the tunnel, stood there is a thing that emerges from the ground, silhouetted in black, the shape of the green man, an, uh, an un, un sort of specified amorphous natural green being that all of a sudden looks up at her and starts walking towards her in the tunnel. She's already like a third of the way through the running tunnel. Running towards her. Running towards her and she runs back and even while she's running away, she just hears, Yeah. And what goes on is the rest of that film, which was just absolutely terrifying, completely horrifying, a really great original, new, mm. slightly wacky concept. <laughs> Slightly. And, and you know, the last scene really does uh, go for it. And we've talked about that and you can hear our men's spoiler review yeah. on the show. But that scene just completely gripped me, terrified yeah. me, never really seen anything like it. Yeah. And I just thought, what a wonderful way to introduce your Michael Myers-esque villain mm. that was sort of like an unstoppable stalking force. Mm. And yeah, Alex Garland uh, continues to be one of the most interesting and evocative filmmakers. Mm. And I'm just really glad that men happened this year. Yeah, I, I I agree. We spoke about men quite a bit. I would say that now having some distance from when I saw it is that I absolutely agree with you. All those things are there. Mm. Very thrilling and very terrifying and 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 uh, enjoyable from like a horror um, uh, point of view. All I will say is that I, I thoroughly understand if people get to the third <laughs> act and go, no, no, no. <laughs> you lost me. You lost me. I, I accept that. It's not a complete picture. I get that. But the ride I had and the joy of watching it with a, you know, my friend... Both of us go, oh my God, oh, this is really uncomfortable. Yeah. Really strange. Absolutely. Great scene. Really good choice. Okay, our next category is for the best singular line in a movie. Or moment of dialogue. I'll, I'll allow a couple of lines if you, if, if you need. Um, because nothing stays in your mind more from a film, from a whole you know, hour, two hour experience than a great moment of dialogue. For me, actually, the line that stuck with me, and I could have chosen a couple from this film, is from Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. And it's the, you told me not to think, right? <laughs> yeah. So if every, you know, most people would have seen Top Gun Maverick this year, but people will know that it's this, you know, it's Mav and uh, Goose's son, Rooster, busting, bumping heads the entire film, having this conflict and Mav saying to him, you know, you're you're too hot headed. You're not thinking clearly. You know you you when you're up there, you just need to you, you can't you, think. you can't think. You haven't got time. You do don't think. You don't think. Listen you know, to me. Yeah, you can't think. <laughs> and then sure enough, Rooster like acts out on his own, and then Mav in and nearly dies. And 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 um, that's not really a spoiler, but I suppose I should say you know we get into the end of the year and chances are you've seen chances it. are you've seen it. But if you've not, don't worry. Uh, Mav says, "What were you doing? What were you thinking?" And he says, "You told me not to think." And this I, when like, I saw that, people laughed out loud in the cinema. And that's also a moment when I thought the film was almost done, but like, yeah. no, like they yeah. are like deep behind yeah. amorphous communist enemy lines. Yeah, yeah. amorphous <laughs> communist, like, yeah. They sort of, you realize there's going to be this whole other riveting yeah. action sequence where it's just them. Yes. And these two people that have been conflicting are going to come together yep. to fight. Oh, the film is so perfect. I know. Also, I would never have thought that a Top Gun movie would have a good line in it like that. The other one I was going to choose in that film is the, thanks for saving my life. 
It's what my dad would have done. Oh, it's like, whoa, so God, it's right, so the, right the field. I think I want to rewatch it. I think I really need to. It's so, it is that good. It's it's very well, very well pulled off. So who knew that uh, a film that you wouldn't associate with the writing, but Top Gun Maverick is what I'd say. James, what about you? My favorite line is a film that I saw very recently. And it is a line from the film Living, starring Bill oh, yeah. Nye, which you very wonderfully described in your review. And mainly it's because I think that Bill Nye's performance is completely transformative and so gripping and just draws you in. He does one of those softly spoken, really sort of quiet mm. and a little bit less is a little bit more. And it just is so evocative. And it's this moment when he is in his office working and everyone is going by their day to day. And he just starts to speak in the middle of the day, which you know he wouldn't do. And he says, if you don't mind, I would actually like to ask you to deputize. My, I will be leaving at 3.30 to go for an appointment. And I would like you to deputize on my behalf. And it's not just the way in which he delivers it. It's the way in which everyone stops what they're doing to watch him. And this wonderful, I spoke about it before, that analog office mm everything was uh it's not just the line it's the way in which he he uses his body and moves things and puts bits mm. of paper up on his shelf and everyone's reaction to the line yeah and i just thought it was fantastic and it's just bill yeah. nye transforming in front of my eyes because that line typifies at that point in that film exactly what that character is yes exactly the kind of person who would say something like deputize and say it in such a mono and we know way. that there's probably so much War, like he's probably so worried and yeah. scared in his own mind, but he refuses to sort of let anything go mm. by. And he just says, well, what I'm doing is absolutely normal. Please, yes. I've already thought exactly about how I'm going to say this. Mm. And later on in the film, it reveals that he does really try and plan what he says in his head. Yes. And he isn't this like, know, he's hard. not a Way robot. Mirror when he's oh, yeah. And I just, yeah, it just is a line that really stuck with me. And it, it brings the film to a halt. It's yeah. all pace and movement and music. And it's like, whoop. What's happening here? Mm. And then the film goes on from there. But I thought it was really There's sweet. Some good, yeah, there are actually quite a few standout lines in Living. Yeah. Either, I, I wanted to sort of come down here to, to live a little bit. I don't know bit how. A bit of a bore, really. Yeah. I, I and the, um, um, I just wanted to be a gentleman. Yeah. It's oh, a very touching, yeah. touching film with, with Living. As we know, we've mentioned it a few times. And hopefully you've had a chance to go see it as well. It's been in cinemas for longer than I thought, which is great. Yeah, it, they really pushed it hard on the marketing. Yeah. And uh, in Mac, just to get it bloody beautiful film to look at yeah if it's if you haven't seen it it's probably a good one for christmas time it's yeah, got a kind of slight nice. fable like i said charles dickensy it's a wonderful life-esque element uh to the whole story so if yeah. you haven't seen it yet and you don't fancy going to see avatar <laughs> go <and> see living. <laughs> go and see living that's probably why actually it's like let's just extend the other films that are still They're already in. there yeah. yeah okay on to the next one which is the award for the biggest surprise this year they don't have that at the oscars do they no okay for me, um, this isn't like a huge surprise. Um, I mean, obviously, sometimes you see films that are better than you expect. <coughs> but for me, um, a big surprise for me was the film Prey, which you ah, haven't seen yes, yet, right? No, I haven't. I remember you saying. My surprise with the film Prey was that it was, one, oh, they've made a new Predator film. Two, oh, they're only releasing it on Disney+. Plus. Oh, three, it's actually really quite good and solid. <laughs> and as you described when, when I reviewed it, exactly what it needs to be. doesn't need to be anything more than that. Yeah. It's as a, is exactly as that film should be. doesn't need to tease a bigger world. It gets in. It's so nuts and bolts. Uh, nuts and bolt. And it's, ugh, it is so nuts and bolts and solid. And, um, you know, you're, you've got a, a bit of flying coming up over Christmas. And I'm like, perfect play movie. Yes. I think if you can bit of it's great. I'll load just, it up. It's so serviceable. I'm like, you can rely on that to fill in a slot. Um, so, yeah, Prey, if you don't remember, was this Predator 
prequel that came out on Disney Plus set in like the 1700s in the Great Plains of America um, uh, with a Native American community, which are besieged by one sole predator. Um, great stuff. Really good, fun action movie mo- moments and uh, good bits of gore. Great. I love it when you and I get to the beginning of the year or the end of the year and you and I look ahead to all the big Mm. films coming out from the big directors and the big studios with the big actors Mm. and we go, ooh, that film, ooh, that film. There's lots of films which we look at and we expect great things from them. But I always like it when there's a film that wasn't on my radar that I didn't think I was going to be even interested in seeing, Mm. that I see and I come to the end of the year and I go, that is one of my top five films of the year and I didn't even know it existed. It makes me excited for next year for the thing which I already don't know about, which is going to already be my favourite. And this year, a film that I wasn't aware of that absolutely took my breath away was Barbarian. Ah, yeah. It was my biggest surprise because I just mm. wasn't really thinking that... I think I was aware of it, but I didn't know it would be as solid mm. as it was. We reviewed it a couple of weeks ago and I think, yeah, it was just amazingly paced and it was exactly how good its horror concept mm. is. It was wonderful at just twisting constantly at every turn. It knew how long you wanted to pay attention to its concept. Yeah. It was scary. It was a little bit funny. Yeah. And it just every so often made me feel like immediately engaged and that what this was doing mm. is something very special. And I keep saying to people, have you watched Barbarian yes. yet? Oh my God, cancel everything and go watch yeah, it. Yeah. And it surprised me and it's in my top five films of the year, I think. Uh, yeah, more and more of that later. Um, and following that, not that we like to be negative, but quickly, if we say biggest disappointment, yes. I think I'd have to say, and I will see this film again to be sure, but my biggest disappointment was probably Jordan Peele's Nope. We talked about mm. the trailer. It's on my list, was, but not, it's like, yeah. you know, I love Jordan Peele. And, there, and don't get me wrong, there is plenty of stuff in Note that you can pick out and engage. And when I've spoke, spoken to people about it, they've said, oh yeah, but it's about this, it's about that. And I'm like, I see what it's about. I, t- I totally get yeah. it. But the way it has not synthesized and synergized its themes and ideas with its actual action and drama is the problem for me. And, and you know, dare I say it, I think we said this when we watched it, we, I got a little bored. And I hate that. I, really, I should not be bored. All the loose threads, like with the chimp and yes. things they really teased out but didn't I, follow I, through. As I said before, like Jordan Peele film, I expect it to be one of three things, or hopefully all of them, but funny, scary, or interesting. Yeah. And I didn't really get any of those. I got a little bit of thrilliness. It was a little bit funny. And it was very vague in its interest. So sorry to say, because at the beginning of this year, we talked about films we're most excited for. And yeah. actually, Nope, I think nope it was, was my... hot. We watched the trailer and everything. Yeah. So sadly, I think Nope was a bit of a disappointment for me. What about you, James? What was your biggest disappointment if you had to have one? You know, I went to sit down and look at my biggest disappointments and quite a few films came up. Some of which I think I probably expected them to be bad. I think I have a feeling of what yours might be. Well, you know, I was very disappointed with Jurassic World Dominion, a beloved franchise, but I can't say I expected that. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like... Doctor Strange 2, I thought, was very disappointing, mm. even though I didn't think Doctor Strange was the mm. you know pinnacle of Marvel, Marvel uh, IP. I think I was hoping that Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness would be this very exciting mm. uplift, and it wasn't. I think the film I was the most critical of this year was Fantastic Beasts Secrets of Dumbledore, oh, which I really went on a rant, which went semi-viral on TikTok. <laughs> um, but I think the film, uh, I thought Love and Thunder, very That's disappointing. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, the film I was the most disappointed with, which is again a, f- a trailer you and I reacted to on the show that I think we were genuinely excited for, was "Don't Worry, Darling." Oh my god! I yes, really expected yeah. a lot more yeah. from Crushing that concept, and you know, I watched it. I think with a big 
bag of excitement on my back and I was giving it a lot of rope. And, you know, in the first half, mm. I think I was like enjoying its style and I was mm. ready to like really, yeah. you know, get something nutritionally dense out of it. And just, you know, the more and more it revealed, yeah. the less and less interested I was in that film. And it turns out that even though it was teasing to do something really clever and subversive and have some really yeah. interesting concepts, turned out to just be very boring, very obvious, actually quite confusing as to what the mm. rules of its universe were. I'm trying not to spoil it, but because um, sure. I know people probably want to catch up on it at some point, but just a huge disappointment. And Olivia Wilde is, is someone who I actually, you know, quite yeah, like. And, and all the talent, even Harry Styles, like I would... Yes, and there, there were some actually really likable parts in that film. You know, the design and sort of the choreography and yeah. the way in which it looked, I thought were all so well done. It, get, it had so many ingredients yeah. ready for it to do something really special. And I just think it's a shame that film is no way near as clever as it was trying to tell you it was, it was going to be. I know, and I, I mean, I was, I was quite frank in my opinion when I gave it to you, but for me, the reason I wanted to back and champion Don't Worry Darling, I was really looking forward to it, yeah. was because it was like ostensibly original IP. Yeah. Okay? It wasn't based on a book, it was coming out of nowhere. And it was so disappointing to go and see a film that could have been so that could have been original, but ended up being so no, sorry, it was so disappointing to go and see a film that was ostensibly original, yeah. but was actually so derivative of yeah. other things. I've seen more original franchise films, I've seen yes. more original sequels than this. Top Gun Maverick, in a way, was more original yeah. Yeah, in yeah. its in its plot than than what we got with Don't Worry Darling. It was such a such a shame. Anyway. That's one little negative bit over. On to the more positive categories. Let's just talk about music quickly because obviously features, and we've had loads of questions this year about best soundtracks and stuff and everything. Mm -hmm. I actually will quickly just say, uh, even though we didn't like the film, I do think the score for Blonde was incredibly distinctive yes. from Nick Cave Warren Ellis. And I have been listening to that independent of the film so that's always a sign of success but in terms of the use of music actually i'd actually give another shout out to worst person in the world again there purely because there is a song from that film that i discovered and then got into so much that it was like high up on my spotify wrapped which yeah. is this song by todd rundgren called healing part one and it's that point early on in the film where she's aware of the pressures of women at her age to sort of settle down and get married and have children. And she's aware of the familial pressures from that, from her family. And this song kicks in and it's like, listen to the voice, the voice. And, and it's, it's just a great beat. And yeah. uh, the, the, there are songs dropped in very strategically throughout Worst Person in the World, which I really like. So those are probably the, off the bat, the two from me. You? And before I give uh, give my answer, I'd like to give a shout out to the Everything Everywhere All at Once music and just mm. how much is going on in that film. I would love to see the mood board for the different ideas and how many different things they brought together. I would love to see the edit timeline oh my God. of just like yeah. what that film looks like to cut together and how many different scenes and bits they are, which they stitch together with music yeah. and it was merging different themes, cultures, styles. And I just think what a behemoth yeah. task to, to be the jockey to sort of rally together all those different tones into into and have it make sense uh yeah. let's go shout out to that but my actually my my winner goes to one of the biggest films of the year and it's going to be michael giacchino's score for the batman oh which right of course uses yeah. lots of uh you know music from nirvana and, and its actual main track is clearly inspired by the uh the, dun, uh, something dun, in the way dun, 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 dun. it's this heartbeat drum yeah. that runs through the entirety of the batman and i think when you go to do 
another Batman. Yes. After we have had so many, you have had Christopher Nolan come in and completely redefine not just Batman, but modern superhero storytelling. You then have another Batman that comes out with Zack Snyder. And then you have to reboot it again, separate to what's going on with DC in its own universe with a new Batman, with an entirely new vision. And I think it must be a really hard thing to take so many immediately iconic scores and have to do something that feels, I think, completely original, Mm. but so true to the comics. And I just feel like that, whenever I see the red silhouette of Batman in a poster, I hear that music. And I think that is a sign of a really effective score. I love the moment when Batman, and I watched some of the special features recently where it was, um, you know, the cast and the director talking about how do we, there's this opening scene where it's like, how do we get a man dressed as a bat to walk into a live crime scene and have it not look weird? Mm. And how is it that people are going to react to a man turning up looking as a bat and i think that first scene is so good and you've got jeffrey wright talking almost at a snail's place it's to the batman does this mean anything to you something to you and then he walks very slowly over but it's all to the beat of his own drum and it's this idea that this is batman's crime scene now Mm. i am the center of the attention everything means something to me and it's this idea that Batman is new to this. He is figuring out what it means to be Batman. He is realizing how other people are reacting to him. He is really just trying to be the most observant detective he can be. And I just think that score is fantastic as a slow little heartbeat in those scenes. And then when he's chasing the penguin through and the car has been flipped upside down and it's on fire and that score is just screaming at you and Batman is in red and black just slowly walking towards the car and it's like, wah, 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 wah. And my hair is bleeding, blowing back on my face. I'm just watching it going, holy shit. And sometimes the most simplest scores are the ones that are the most powerful and most memorable. And I think that will be immediately iconic. I cannot wait to see another Batman in hopefully like five years and get back to that score, to those characters. Great choice. You know, actually, so basically James reviewed the Batman and then I went and watched it. um, And then our spoiler discussion about it, we lost, um, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) So we've actually never spoken about it, the two of us together. But I would just say, it doesn't feature in my upcoming awards for this episode. Yeah. I will say I thoroughly enjoyed the Batman. I think it's incredibly solid. And, it, yeah. and if I look at some of the best big budget blockbuster films I watched this year, yeah. I hold the Batman up very highly. I was really, really gripped. It is very long. Yeah. And obviously it does, with any long film, it does start to fatigue a little, but I was in, I was impressed at how long it really had me hooked. I loved um, its universe. I loved its universe. universe. I so love all the cast in it. I love the wacky, like, terrifying Riddler-ness, the over-the-top element of the Riddler, because the Riddler's meant to be over-the-top. Do yes. your impression of Paul Dano as the Riddler. Well, what are we gonna do for time? <laughs> yeah. Justice will be served. Yeah, this wailing from Paul Dano. He's going through the mask, and he's really, his voice is cracking and yeah. breaking. But then you get this, and then, Colin Farrell in the Penguin oh, story. Hey, for God's sake, what the fuck? What is this? Good shit was it? Good cop, bad shit cop? Yeah. Um, I, I really, really liked Turing's it. I just had an opportunity. Oh my God, I forgot so he was good. in it. Yes. Yeah. And like such a, it's almost like an um, unexpected casting. Yes. But he's fantastic in it. Oh, oh man. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, big congrats to uh, Matt Reeves for putting yeah. it off in a really, really great. And that, R. Pat's doing a great job with- Continues to be one of the most interesting young Shouldn't call him R. Pat's actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really, really works there. And um, uh, Zoe Kravitz, Andy Serkis. I adored the, the anamorphic- 
dirty lens, characterful cinematography. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was just fantastic to look Fighting at. Fighting in the darkness as people fire their guns, you can see the silhouette. It was, like, it was almost like 30% on the way to Sin City in terms of yes. its graphic novelness, which I think is just about yeah. enough for that. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I think I'll rewatch it maybe over the break if I can't get the time. But, and we've been talking this year in the context of a, a superhero landscape that's becoming incredibly tired and sort of stagnant with Marvel. And equally, Busy the, and the rest of DC is also like, as we talked last week, like incredibly in lots of, doing lots of changes. Like Superman, yeah, Superman, no. Yeah. And it just, it's just like Batman came in and just thought, well, we're just going to do this. I was almost glad that they went, we're not going to try and tie Batman into everything else yes. unsuccessfully. Why don't we just do a Batman film? Yeah. Give it to Shocker. a creator <laughs> and an artist and have them have their one singular yeah. vision. They've not got to tie into mm. a bunch of baggage with Apocalypse or whatever it is. Yeah. Just, just, let's just do a really good detective Batman film. And it was nice to see like Matt Reeves as a director like graduate from, he's like, okay, he did the Planet of yeah. the Apes films. What's he going to do next? Oh, wow. Really get a chance to flex your creativity. Yes. So I agree. Good, good shout with the Batman for best music. And also, sorry, just one more thing. It was such a noir detective piece. Yeah. They just went, let's be a Fincheresque seven. Yes. Uh, uh, all of it. Let's just uh, Zodiac. Let's really lead into like the really early Batman comics yeah. where he was a detective. Exactly. It was less about bombastic superheroes. It's just well, clues. You know what DC things. originally stood, stood for? Detective comics. Exactly. Okay, next up, it's the category for best performance. And we're not doing best actor, best actress, just sort of best performance. Yep. And... This is really hard because we've had a lot of good. Like we were just talking about like worst person in the world, like yeah. great actors there are so all around. Many. I mean, so many. So you have to approach this on from a very personal kind of perspective. And I think I'm going to give a three part answer. This will come as no surprise because I've kind of uh, spoken about this throughout the year. So my, I've got a three part answer, and I'll tell you why I couldn't commit to one. So, for example, I've seen The Whale, yeah. and I know that Brendan Fraser's performance in that is very, very good and fantastic, yeah. right? But but everyone is going to everyone that that's that's just it's the news at the moment. Everyone knows mm-hmm. that Brendan Fraser's performance is very good. So in a way, I don't want to spend a lot of time rehashing my whale review. You can go and see it if you like. But he is fantastic in it. That's no surprises there. But that's very much almost like next year's story because yeah. that's going to be the award season in January, February, right? The, his main competitor in the award season actually is one that I do want to point out as well is Austin Butler for Elvis. Yes. Here comes this newcomer. Yes, he's been in other things, but taking on one of the most famous. Uh, people of, of all time in a film that is incredibly wild and flawed, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, but in the center of it, up against like, Tom Hanks doing Jabba the Hutt, you have Austin Butler doing a really great performance as Elvis, just getting the star quality and the groundedness and the perfect blend that you need to exist as a fully functional human being in the Baz Luhrmann circus. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And, you know, since then, Austin Butler has kind of acquired this kind of state, like quasi-mythic status of this rock and roll star. Man out of time. Exactly. Star out of time. The yeah. way he talks, the way he carries himself, he's, he's brought this whole new style. So it was incredibly refreshing. So that's another one. But also, I do want to repeat the, a point I made before as well, and we just talked about the Batman, is that if I was to choose a performer, an actor it would be Colin Farrell again. Yeah. For the reason I gave before, which is that if you look at the performances this year in Banshees of Inner Sharon, in 13 Lives and The Batman, they are completely different. And also he did After Yang as well, which I haven't even seen, but I've heard is very different. If you look at his work in that, completely different, but each time giving us something so refreshing, so committed, whether it's, um, you know, comic and caricatured or whether it's mundane and um, straight, just... Uh, 
just really good. I know some people, like we had their email said that they thought Colin Farrell's performance was sort of ahistorical for Banshees. Sure. Those would be the ones that stick out to me. Now, I'm aware I've just named like three men, but I, I, but uh, for the record, like I said, Renata Reinsvay in Fantastic. Well, Michelle Yeoh in Everywhere, Everyone, all, Everywhere, 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 yeah. Everything, Everywhere, <laughs> All at Once. Remember that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got it, you got it. Something, something, Dark Side. Um, plenty. But for me, I think the ones that I've sort of kept track of this year mm. has been Austin Butler, Brendan Fraser. So Austin Butler's looking back, Brendan Fraser's looking ahead, and as a whole, Colin Farrell. I remember seeing, uh, I haven't seen Elvis, but I remember seeing on social media, people were mirroring uh, Austin Butler's performance of an Elvis song and then they were yes. getting the exact real life performance from Elvis yeah. and stitching them together. Yeah. And it was like watching yeah. a mirror. It was yeah. just crazy. It really made me want to go and, and, and seek it out. And there's something more to it than just like what <coughs> Rami Malek did with Freddie Mercury. There's something more to what Austin Butler's bringing because I think the chemistry and the alchemy he has with Baz Luhrmann is, is interesting. Anyway, yeah. those, are, those are my crops. Sorry, it's not a definitive one, but hey, I don't want to be mean. I want to give a shout out to Tom Cruise and Top Gun Maverick. Fair it play. Cannot be overstated. This isn't my choice. It cannot be overstated how that film did not have a right to work to the, to the extent yes. that it did. Yeah. And I think without Tom Cruise at the helm, I don't think you get the same film in any way. Yeah. And I just think there's a reason why that man is still at his age yeah. in the 2020s making films of that quality mm. that everyone wants to go and see. Yeah. And, and the biggest film of the year. Biggest film of the year, biggest film of his career. And Tom Cruise is a weird guy, man. But God damn it, I love watching I him mean, on screen. We'll have him on. I mean, I don't want to disrespect him. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, we'll have him on. But my choice for best performance is actually more of a supporting role. And it's a performance you and I have mentioned a few times now. And it's a part that I think in less capable hands would have completely fallen flat. And it is Anthony Hopkins and Armageddon Time. Oh, right, yes. Now, I mean, look, original idea that Anthony Hopkins is really talented in the movie. Wow, shock <laughs> horror. But I wanted to do it because I think that I don't know if many people are going to mention it. I know, and I know we've mentioned Armageddon Time, I think, three times in a row in the last few uh, episodes. But if you have seen this film, you know the role that Anthony Hopkins plays. Armageddon Time is that it was a film by James Gray, which. Um, was set in the 1980s. It's very much about uh, generational anxiety around uh, oppression and uh, it was about race and ways in which different people are received by authority and by the law. And, and, ha and how prejudice is viewed, but from the context of both a middle-class Jewish family and yes. a uh, working-class black... 100%. Boy, yeah. And, you know, how different... Uh, references of masculinity are reflected in each generation and how that affects this young boy and the yeah. lens with which he's seeing the world. And um, the first half of that movie, I think you're almost like, huh, what is it doing that's really original? And it is through, I think, the performance of Anthony Hopkins mm. that allows the complexity and the nuance of what James mm. Gray is trying to telegraph, which feels immediately personal. It feels incredibly complicated and it brings, mm. it allows you, he does so little, but you can see in his eyes that he's probably had a million conversations about exactly what the words that he's delivering mm. mean. And when you get to the point where he's trying to communicate the message of the film and what you have to do, I think it just absolutely rips your heart out of mm. your chest. And mm. it's not just a good performance, it's a complex and nuanced yeah. and uh, just completely uh, tear-jerking and sad yeah. to watch. And I don't think anyone else could have done it that wasn't Anthony Hopkins. Agreed, I think that's a great shout. I mean, uh, people listening will know, we've mentioned that a few times now, but go and seek it out if you can. Uh, it's, it's, a real, it's a real strong piece of work. James, should we talk about best directors? Yes. In film. Uh, I was thinking about this on the way over. Again, a bit like actors, you could really uh, look at stuff. I mean, like, I know I we've spoken about it a little bit, but what Charlotte Wells 
did with After Sun, I was like, that's a clear debut British talent coming through that I really, really uh, admire. Um, you know, Joseph Kaczynski for Top Gun Maverick, mm-hmm. pulling that off, the very tactile, physical filming, really good. For me though, um, the, the best director I would have to give to Ryan Johnson for Glass Onion. Yep. Because you watch Glass Onion, which people should have had opportunity now to, to watch because it's it's out on Netflix. And I won't, this is not going to reveal any spoilers, but I think I mentioned this in my review that every single thing in Glass Onion is deliberate and well-placed, but not in a way that feels forced or... You know, when we talked about Avatar, Avatar 1, that yeah. it's like, this film has an answer for everything and it's very instructional. Like, you need to know this, this, and this. Glass Onion is different. It places everything in a very curated, carefully detailed uh, fashion that makes you feel like you're wandering through a fun house. And, and, and everything you look, go, oh my God, I can't believe someone's worked so hard to put such a small, tiny detail in there um, for me to have fun. I mean, the way that uh, like Johnson directs the camera and the, the way he wants you to look at certain things at a diff- different time. Like and, then, and, and, and often uh, for comedic effects, it's like, I will set you up over here and then I'm going to turn the camera over here and there's the punchline. It's just such a like a bouquet of of interesting delights and talents, both visually, and then the way it's able to then execute its um, its whole mystery at the heart of it. I just thought it was really great, and and you know some people might not like that. Some people might not like to be sort of um, contrived and played around with so much as an audience member. For me, I really like that, and I will talk about that more a little bit when we get to our sort of overall pictures of the year i think when you know writing your own who done it i think it would be incredibly easy to feel very up your own ass when writing it but right. that film is so clever and never once feels pretentious no it exactly. never once lets you feel like the director is so much smarter than you yeah. and often like the most stupid obvious answer was what what it was yeah. and it never it, it, as you said it's like a fine tooth comb film everything was there yeah. for you in the first place you know when you said when you reviewed avatar 2 you were like i'm we've been given nothing to do. Yeah. With Glass Onion, it's like Ryan Johnson <coughs> said, oh my God, it's going to be so much fun. We're going to give you so much fun to play with. We're going to give you so much to do. You're going to be involved in this. And that's what it is. You're watching and thinking, oh, I feel so engaged because you've gone to such lengths to make sure that every minute, every second of my time, it's almost like a very maximalist way of designing a film. It's like every square inch of runtime is going to be populated with something that you can enjoy and devour. And if we haven't got a joke here, we'll have a great bit of costume design. If we haven't got a costume design here, we'll have a great bit of uh, set design. Just great fun. Ryan Johnson, what a talent. Ryan Johnson was on my list of shout outs, um, as well as uh, Bones and All director, Luca Guardino, which I thought was fantastic. I know you didn't quite get on with it. Yeah, sorry. But my... Award for Best Director is a film that you and I both really enjoyed, and it's Philip Baratini's Boiling Point. Oh, but right, I yes, of course. Give, yeah. But mostly because I think when you do a one-shot film of mm. that nature, which is set all in one room, pretty much, mm. give or take, I think that is so much harder to pull off than I think you could ever give mm. it credit for watching. And I think the way in which it was able to keep to tell this amazing story with multiple different strands and make me feel immediately connected to everything happening Mm. 
in real time. Yeah. And everything was, it was such a tense and thrilling watch for something that on the surface so feels so <laughs> low stakes. It's just a restaurant. Like, why is everything, why am I so like gripped? Yeah. And I just feel like I'm walking through the space. And I just can't even imagine how, how hard it is to balance that whilst working in real time. If you want to change a part of that film, it affects the entire ordering yes, yeah. of all of it. And the fact that I think you could probably watch it as an amazing stage play um and that it just i can only imagine i'd love to pick the brains of as philip baratini and go like how what was it like to try and rehearse this what's it like to try and reset the food and the decor when you actually practically rehearse that film and capture it in a way which you know we've talked about one shot films and how sometimes they could feel quite gimmicky that never felt gimmicky no, to me yeah. it felt like the only way to capture that character to capture that performance you would have lost a sense of the hectic real-time energy if you didn't do it like that yeah and i think it's worth shouting out that that director is a huge talent who I'll be looking out for. And I'm so excited that that film has captured so many people's imaginations and it's doing as well as it did. I, I totally agree. I really loved Boiling Point. Good on you for shouting it out because, uh, oh, yeah, uh, deeply stressful. I, I mean, you talking about it, it's only 90 minutes long. I can feel it in my gut being like, yeah. oh my God, the most stressful shift I've ever had. Yeah. But um, I said shift. shift. <laughs> the word was shift. Yeah. Um, yeah, fantastic film. Really good show. Okay, before we get on to, we've talked all about film. All of our awards have been film related, but of course, a lot of the stuff we talk about on this show is TV. I think it's only right that we talk about best TV. And that, look, I don't have a singular best TV Same. show. To There's give too you, many. Although I could, if you push me. Do you want to, well, do you, what do you oh, think I'll, your I'll push you, I'll push you. Okay, we, well, talk about all of them. Let's talk about all of them first. I don't have a, an, a singular uh, TV thing to, to to give you. But what I've noticed this year is that uh, TV, as it has done for the past seven to 10 years, has continued to be the place for prestige storytelling yeah. and, and, and well-executed drama. I mean, you could just take the HBO stuff and be like, that's a, a, a great crop. You had Euphoria season two at the beginning of the year. Wow. You had House of the Dragon, which caught everyone off guard yep. being how good it was. You've We've, I've just finished The White Lotus, which we'll talk about yeah. hopefully at some point. I know you're a bit behind on it, but, but even if you took those three shows, you've got such a breadth out of talent and approach and just a, brilliant stuff. But then you've got um, something like uh, Dopesick, which I believe came out last year in the States. I think it only came out here with, uh, with Disney+. Plus. Excellent. You have... The one, if you had to push me, I would say, because I banged on about it so much, sorry to bore people, but is Better Call Saul. Yeah. The, which, <coughs> as I'm trying, to, I, I'm trying to say before, is not just the conclusion of a series. It is Vince Gilligan, one of the premium showrunners of the past, like, prestige era of TV, bringing to a close an entire TV universe that he has created. You're watching not just the end of Breaking Bad, you're watching the end of Better Call Saul as well. And it is done the way that... Better Call Saul ends, particularly that last episode. It's like Shakespearean in terms of its drama. There is a lot. If I could have done best line, I, I would have done it, but yeah, yeah. it's an absolute spoiler. Okay. Because <laughs> I because I have to contextualize it. There's a line that um Bob Odenkirk gives as Saul in the last one. I was like, that is like Arthur Miller-esque yeah. moment. I like the way he says it. That's right in the chest. Cool, I need to watch it. Um, fantastic. I mean, you, you were talking last week about you love a legal courtroom drama. Yeah, I, I know. Mean, I need to get in there. I should, oh. I should have said Radical Saul for all of that. Yeah, yeah right. I mean, so... Um, you know, yeah, if you push me, I would say my, my TV highlight of this year is Better Call Saul because it's, it's one thing to launch a show, as we've seen throughout years and years. We've talked... Yeah, 
House of Dragon launched this year. Yeah. White Lotus came back. Euphoria came back. But to bring a show to a conclusion that has the dramatic weight and premium storytelling of more than film is just great. So it's been a great year for TV. It continues to be a great year for TV. Um, and Beckle Saw, guys, you know it. It's bloody great. Yeah, I echo so much of what you said. Um, House of the Dragon was a show that I thought I would be like, yeah, it's okay. I guess it might get better, but... I'm hooked. I got to the end and I was like, oh, it could only work in a TV show to have so much complexity and so many different layers of understanding. And I feel like I've got a master's degree in Targaryen <laughs> timeline, family timelines. Yeah. It's so good at just getting you into everyone's name and who's who, even though they all sound the same. And I said this when I reviewed it, but it's it's amazing at making you feel like you're really clever for understanding all of these different dynamics and it's yeah. just so much more dense and complicated which I, I don't think actually people give it enough credit yes. for how smart I think House of the Dragon is so easy to be cynical towards it um, Severance is a show I've banged yes. on about yeah. which I, I'm, I'm I think I'm, I'm so excited by how that season ended and I cannot wait to see more. I do worry that the, uh, the, the question over what the truth is about that show might be more interesting than the solution. Yes. Just because I've been burned in the yeah. past from shows of a different era. Lost. <laughs> uh, like specifically lost, but it's, it's really interesting. White Lotus yeah. is, uh, Ter- you and I were slightly writing. concerned that um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be as good as the first series, such a fast turnover, but it's so interesting and it does The Crown that. too. The Crown, yes. So, yeah. yeah, sorry absolutely. to interrupt. I was just no, going to say, so like the White Lotus and the Crown have obviously come out recently. We know we've spoken about that. Sustaining their quality, aren't they? Fantastic quality. And you and I will at some point put out our spoiler discussions of both those things. If you haven't caught up with either of those series, you must do. It's really great quality TV. Um, but I think I'll give my award to a show which I watched, I want to say around April, and that's Pam and Tommy. Mm. It's a show that really, I started it and I was a little bit cynical from it, but towards the end, I couldn't stop watching it. And I think the performances in there from Sebastian Stan and Lily James are just transformative. And it took a very simple story, which I don't think anyone really understood very well and does what great storytelling does is it tells you something really much more rich, deep and more complicated. It was also such a wonderful, it's a period piece set in the 90s and it's such a wonderful uh, conflict and byproduct of that era. That story wouldn't have been as big without the era of digital VHS mm. and how things spread virally through the post and what it meant to capture something. And Seth Rogen's role is like really good and really funny in mm. it. And I got to the end just thinking like, God, this is such an interesting dissection of media and attention and questions, which we still very much are trying to figure out today about what right does the public have to the lives of famous people, of royal families, of politicians? And what right do we have to own images of them and what relationship Mm. women have in the media and how that works? I think it was such an uh, of-its-time drama that felt really modern and relevant. And I think a lot of people have slept on it and I wish they would go and watch it because I think it's fantastic and that you should stick with it. Fantastic. I mean, also, we gave, like... We did a little shout out that episode about Sebastian Stan because we also talked yeah. about it with him yeah, fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on Instagram, about we did five un- un- different Sebastian Stan, Stan fan accounts yeah. followed us and, and like reposted our content. And yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, you, yeah, coming around to Lily James. So um, yeah, I need to check that out as well. But good shout, yeah. Lily James is lost. You will never know it was Lily James, which is, I guess, a mark of a great performance. Absolutely. Wow. Good year for TV. Great year for TV. So now let's talk about our best films of the year, yeah. our highlights and our top ones. And without wishing to dodge the question or dodge the category, a bit like with TV, I don't think I have a singular best film it's that I could say, it. this is my best film, you've got to go see this one. But what I have become increasingly aware of is like a little trend with films that, are, that I assign to respect. So um, 
a very famous quote in cinema in the 1920s was Al Jolson in the, in the jazz singer saying, I think it's something like, no, don't go away, don't go away. You ain't seen nothing yet, right? You ain't seen nothing yet. That's the kind of yeah. the idea. And there have been a couple of cinematic, cinema experiences, cinematic experiences I've had recently, which for me have reminded me of what I enjoy getting out of watching films. Yeah. And it's all about fun. Just great, well-executed fun. That fun that is uh, invested in, well-crafted and incredibly detailed. Now I know like fun is a very broad term that you could apply, but what I mean by that is like films like Glass Onion, uh, Barbarian, Top Gun, that understand that, um, and even actually Boiling Point to a point as well, uh, as well. A film that understands that you might have somewhere else to be and its whole attitude is, don't go away, don't go away because you ain't seen nothing yet. It's worth watching. I, I, I'm going to give you something else. So with, <coughs> with Glass Onion, as we just talked about, it's incredibly detailed. It's the, oh, don't look away because you're going to miss something here. With Barbarian, it's the halfway through the, okay, you think you got it. I'm going to show you something else now and stick with At me. At the peak of your yeah. attention. The peak At of the your very attention. Peak. Don't go away because I'm about to show you something else. Yeah. With Boiling Point, it's just like, you ain't seen nothing yet. Look, don't go away because we are stuck in here. I'm going to hold your attention. You think you know, stay with me. We're in this room now for 90 minutes. And in, and Top Gun as well, in the sense that like, it takes a kind of just, it's like, how do we make just men flying airplanes into a cinematic story? Yeah. Because you're only there, for, you're, you're there for the spectacle first and the story second, and it manages to gel those two together. So, in the context of a of a media landscape in which TV is so prestigious, and I'm not trying to say that film isn't prestigious still, you know, things like The Whale and uh, you know, uh, Banshees of Inisherin and these great stories still exist in film, absolutely. But I think sometimes when I was watching Glass Onion in the cinema, when I was watching Barbarian in the cinema, I was just like, I've really, there's something specific and special and unique about having fun at the cinema that, that, that a film can give you. And like, that's what films should be, shouldn't forget. Because obviously now post pandemic, everyone's been talking about the future of cinema and where's it going? And what direction do we go? It's just like, just remember to give people a good time. That's why I like those films because they know that they're there. They are consciously making an effort to give you a good time. They're really trying to do something new. And yes, some people might find Boiling Point too tense and stressful. Some people might find Barbarian a little bit contrived, but it's like, I really appreciate uh, a filmmaker and a film that is actively working to hold on to you, which sounds like what wasn't happening with your Avatar 2 experience, right? So... (laughs) Um, if I was to have just a takeaway, I'm like, you know what? I, 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 it's just like, get rid of the snobbery. I just want to have a really fun time and, and just focus on that. When we had the science sound poll, you know, a couple of weeks yeah, ago, we yeah. talked about that, you know, which is a very criticky list. You know, it's, it's Gene Dillman, number one, it's Vertigo, it's Citizen Kane, those films, long, old, very testing for some people. And um, I'm like, what I've been talking about with friends I just, we've been doing our own sort of top tens and stuff. And, and we did very sort of like quick fire. What films would you put in your top 10? And I did uh, one with a friend and I actually threw Aliens in there, right? In my top 10. And my friends have said, oh, that's interesting. Why would you throw that in there? And I was like, because, well, for many reasons, because it's fucking great. But, but, but the film, we shouldn't forget that films are as much, can, be, can reach the heights of as much as being high entertainment as high art and yeah. high entertainment and high art are just as valuable. And I think what occurred to me watching these like Glass Onion Barbarian, I was just like, God, these sometimes cinema and films can be such a bloody good time. Yeah. 
And that's what I, that's my main takeaway from this year. And I look forward to hopefully having more experiences like that next year. Lovely. I, uh, a lot of your, the ones you mentioned are on my list. And it's a similar feeling of the reasons why we go. And I think it's because why you see all of these different films of different genres is I think we're always looking for something that challenges us in a new way mm. that makes us feel something that we maybe forgot or didn't really have access to an emotion mm. or an idea. And it's that idea of coming together with someone or a friend or family and being like, did you also feel that? Yes. That thing I unlocked, yeah. that feeling which I kind of know, but like, did you also have that? And I liken it to like try tasting something really good and you immediately want to have mm. someone else taste it because you're reaching to have this conversation. It's like, did you also yeah. have that? I'll, is it just, it's not just me. Am I just, I'm not alone in yeah. this feeling, yeah. Didn't you love that? Yes, and that moment it made mm. me feel X, Y, and Z. And it's like, of course. And like, you know, leaving when credits rolled on Top Gun Maverick, no other films had the entire audience go, oh, yes. yes. Yeah. That feeling of just what an elation yeah. uh, uh, ending that that, that that gave you. Um, and, you know, I think about completely about Glass Onion. I think it just was such a wonderful, satisfying mm. meal of yeah. a film. And um, Worst Person in the World is a film I left the screening of and I just talked about it with my partner for, for like two hours straight. Yeah. And we just had so much to talk about, all of those scenes, which I know we've already covered, so I'm not going to yeah. go over it again. But that idea of like, God, this is such a, it's so well, it's really well, it's articulated really well in idea, which I've kind of known about, but mm. not seen represented in such a beautiful and terrifying and honest way. Yeah. And it's these films that stick with you. And yeah. so it is, it is those. It is Barbarian, Worst Person in the World, Top Gun Maverick, Glass Onion. Yeah. Uh, it's like things that burn. Films that yourself. make you want to run out and, and, and they make you actively seek to Men. talk to someone. Yeah. It's, it's, it, that's what builds a film community. It's yeah. the things that... It's, it's, you know, leaving film going, oh, that was very nice, is not the same. When, you, when you're presented with something that doesn't feel like it's a new idea or, you know, like a Jurassic World Dominion. It's like, I know what that is yeah. and I wish it would do something different to get me excited about yeah. that franchise. And unfortunately, mm. it doesn't. Or something that disappoints you and underwhelms, like yeah. Fantastic Beasts. Again, not to go on about the negative. No, no, Is that sure. like, wow, like I, I, I was given a new idea and that was so yeah. exciting to me and that's why I loved it. I think also, I mean, what we're kind of both, kind of the Venn diagram of our opinions that kind of overlapping on is that, Really, uh, I don't. I don't mind if a film is flawed. If it can move me in any way, I mean, if that if it makes me laugh, scared, cry, you know, if that it if that's the arouse and a, a response like yeah. that. That is more valuable than. So take the whale for example, which I think some people will be really split on, and I'm not saying that's perfect film, but for, because I cried, I had such emotional reaction to the end. That for me is almost more valuable. Yeah, and I don't. I don't care. Some people might say, "Oh, yeah, but it's very manipulative." I'm like, "Yeah, but I don't care because it got yeah. me to cry." Isn't it wonderful that this thing that's completely artificial got me to cry? If this thing can get me to laugh, it's like people saying, "That's a really stupid joke." It's like it doesn't matter if it got me to laugh mm. in this sort of dead-eyed world. You know, yeah, yeah. that's a fucking miracle. Oh, but bones and all for me, which I know you didn't right, get yeah. on with, but like the ending of that just completely broke my heart. I adored the way it looked. Mm. I could have spent <laughs> so much longer. In... <laughs> no, no shade. Just like you know no, what I mean. Like, yeah. I, I, I just really like was taken by it and I yeah. thought it was just absolutely beautifully told and there were moments there where I just hor horrified yeah. and scared but also just completely heartbroken yeah. by that film and it's that feeling of like oh you really made me feel something in yeah. the two hours of staring at 24 frames a second like that yeah. magic just got me to feel something go for the heart god we're getting so emotional on this <laughs> talk but that's about it it's emotionally being get in wiped the, get in the heart. away but that's why you do it it's why you see the stuff that is a little bit crap sometimes yeah. it's why you try out new things it's yes. like give me something good yeah um, it's been an interesting year and there are many more interesting films to grow 
next week in the new year of 2023, we will be talking about some of the exciting films that are coming out. And in chances the 12 are, ahead. there'll be a bunch of things that we didn't mention, which will be some of our favorite films yes. at the end of next year. So, but look, that's our review of the year. Those were the Pulp Kitchen Awards, the first of their kind, the inaugural ceremony. But what did you guys think? What really stood out for you this year? What moved you? What were you disappointed by? What what really um, surprised you? I love it when a film surprises yeah. you. Please let us know at hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. We will, we will read through those. Um, and we're just keen to know because we want to know if we're alone in enjoying certain stuff. I bet there are loads of best scores that you and I have missed out. Totally. so good. Totally. So I just was like, I can't overthink this. And I was like, I just need to, what's sticking with me right now? And I went for, I went for Batman. But yeah, like, sure. I bet there are so many great scores. Yeah. I go, oh, yes, that was so good what that did. So write in, give us some of your best of the years. Any category will do. Um, I'd love to just like wrap off a bunch of them in the new year. Totally. Yes, so that was our roundup. And I wonder what we'll be making the Pop Kitchen Awards next year in 2023. Okay, George, let us go through the emails that we've got this week. The email today is from friend of the show, Bevan. Bevan. Bevan, the oh, Irish correspondent. Bevan, Bevan is a place. <laughs> our pla- You're talking heads. Heaven. Uh, our place where nothing. <laughs> Nothing Bevan, ever, I'm so Bevan's. sorry. <laughs> I've, she's probably had that one before. Bevan, if you remember, we sent on a task to write her review, a review of Banshees of Inner Sharon from yes. an Irish perspective, which yeah. she did very kindly and sent yes. us a detailed response. You can find that it was in an extra spoiler discussion on the feed where we yes. covered a couple of other films. But Bevan writes in once again to say, our hey fi- guys. Our final email of the year. Our final email of the year yeah. from none other than Bevan. He says, hey guys, exclamation mark. I hope you're doing well. Uh, yes, Bevan, thank you. I hope you are too. And are having a nice festive season. It's delightful, and I hope yours is too. After seeing the Golden Globe nominations come out, brackets, bit of an Irish sweep, close brackets, wink face, close brackets, <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts, and maybe if you have any predictions for the upcoming season. I do a draft for the major award ceremonies, and I'd love to hear mm. what you guys think, and when the other nominations come out, what your drafts would be. Really been loving the content lately. Looking forward to the next episode. All the best. Your friend, Bevan. Delightful. Thank oh, you. Oh, she Bevan. says Bev. Bev. Sorry, Bev. Thank you. It's Bev. Um, a good question. Well, the thing is, I've got the Golden Globe nominations here, and I think we should quickly read through them. Let's do it. But it's important to remember that the Golden Globes, as pointed out by Mark Kermit for many years, is has a lot. Has, I feel like the Golden Globes are slightly overemphasized, and it's like the cynical edge of Hollywood because it's for, voted for by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which is a very small group of people, um, which aren't aren't made up of the actual talent in the industry. He says, but anyway, um, <laughs> the obviously the BAFTAs and the Oscars are the ones that we're uh, heading towards. But nonetheless, the Golden Globes, let's just read through them. So it's important to remember about the Golden Globes as well. The reason there's such an emphasis on them is that they are like the um, people look at the Golden Globes, see what's been nominated... And it's like a, a, a barometer of, of the rest of the awards race. Okay. So before this, you've had all the festivals and circuits. It's like, okay, we've got to the Golden Globes now at the beginning of January. What from this will make it through to the final Oscars race? Okay. So the Golden Globes nominations this year, Best Motion Picture, Drama, Avatar, The Way of Water. No way. Elvis. Okay. okay. The Fablemans, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. Right. Oh, we, we already know what you think about Avatar, The Way of yeah. the Water. Elvis, um, I'm interested. Interesting that Elvis is in for drama, not comedy or musical. But okay. Um, look, very good performance in it. I, and it's a Baz Luhrmann film, but I, I, I don't think it really has got enough in it to justify winning that category. 
The Fablemans, deeply excited to watch yeah. this. This is Spielberg's new film, very personal one, semi, semi biographical. Um, could win. Tar, don't know about that as a film itself, but as a vehicle for Kate Blanchett, I've heard very good things. Yeah. I, I'm actually super pumped to see Same, that. I can't wait. Uh, Top Gun Maverick, um, I would not be offended if that won because as for reasons we talked about in the show, why it's so good, but also like biggest selling film of the year actually has, uh, uh, I, I would be like a, you know what? Fine, I'm fine with that. No one would disapprove. No one would disapprove, no. Okay. Um, then we've got, and then we're going into uh, actors in that category, in the drama category. Best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama. Kate Blanchett, Tar. Olivia Colman, Empire of Light, Viola Davis, The Woman King, Anna Diarmas, Blonde, Michelle Williams, The Fablemans. So look, we haven't seen The Fablemans, so we can't comment about Michelle Williams, although yeah. she's, she is great and everything. Anna Diarmas did love her in Blonde, but I feel like there's so much negativity about that film, she won't win. Viola Davis as The Woman King. I, I, I like Viola Davis, haven't seen The Woman King, no. and I felt like that film did not perform as well as a lot of people had hoped, yeah. which is quite sad. Um, Olivia Colman in Empire of Light. Look, I think Empire of Light is, is a really, really big disappointment and Olivia Coleman does her best with it but I think there are better Olivia Coleman performances out there I think that from the word around the campfire it looks like Kate Blanchett is is a, is a real strong contender for okay. Tar best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama Austin Butler for Elvis hey I said so yeah yep. deserved Brendan Fraser for The Whale front runner at the moment yeah Hugh Jackman for The Sun, not seeing The Sun. Uh, Hugh Jackman, always good though. Bill Nye in Living, nice to be nominated. Yeah, yeah. Then Jeremy Pope for The Inspection. Uh, I don't not know seen, that, I'm afraid. No. Then Best Picture, Musical or Comedy. Babylon, not out yet. That's Damien yeah. Giselle's new one with uh, Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. The Banshees of Inner Sharon. Everything Everywhere All at Once. Glass Onion and A Triangle of Sadness. Okay. Good category because, I mean... Banshee's very well respected. Everything Everywhere, massive success. Yeah. Cr cr critically and commercially, yep. between critics and audiences alike. Glass Onion, similarly, cr yep. you know, commercially and critically, um, uh, you know, audiences and cr critics, should I say, yep. really like it. Triangle of Sadness. Could be a critical darling, but I don't think, I personally didn't think it was that mm. good. Maybe that's as far as it goes. Yep. But that's an interesting category. I would say, if you had to pick one, it's hard because Babylon's, I haven't seen that yet, and that could be a massive film. Yeah. Um, I, in a way, I... I I love Glass Onion and obviously I'd love that to win but in a way everything everywhere all at once because that film is so strange yeah. and it managed to be such a success it almost deserves recognition for being for pulling off that theme yeah. yeah. best performance by an actress in a motion picture <laughs> musical comedy um, Leslie Manville for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris not seen but look hey look Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris looks like the kind of film you watch on Sunday afternoon with a nice cup of tea okay <laughs> however any, any what's a girl like me doing yeah. in Paris any any award that recognises the talent of Leslie Manville is perfectly fine, yep. in my opinion. She deserves all the credit she gets, so good for her. Margot Robbie in Babylon. Look, Margot haven't Robbie, she's great, she's but obviously haven't seen Bob. Babylon. Annie Taylor-Joy in The Menu, haven't seen it. Nope. Uh, Emma Thompson in Good Luck to Leo Grand, haven't seen it, but heard it's interesting. Yep. Um, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I think she could win she that. She could definitely win it, yeah. Um, and I think really then, because when the categories combined for the Oscars, it's probably Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh together yeah yeah uh best performance by an actor in a musical comedy um diego calva for babylon not seen daniel craig for glass onion Un deserved yeah mm -hmm. understood mm -hmm. adam driver for white noise you've seen it he's very good in it i mean i prefer i preferred adam driver in other things but yeah. he's really good in it the Col film yeah colin farrell for the banshees of inner sharon i think he'll win that yeah i just there's just the the mood for banshees at the moment seems to be very I know what there's you mean. A lot, there's a lot of traction. It's an unspoken buzz. There's like an yeah, good traction for Banshees. Um, and Ray Fiennes for the menu. Okay. 
Then we've got... I should watch the menu over the next few weeks if I can. Lastly, let's do best director for motion picture, which is not... They don't split the category for director. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I don't really get it. Um, best director of motion picture, James Cameron, Avatar, The Way of the Water. No. Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart for Everything Everywhere Very All possible. At Once. Understood. Yeah. Uh, uh, respectable. Baz Luhrmann for Elvis. I can see why, but also, I mean, look, Elvis is one of those films you can watch. I haven't it. seen it, but I kind of... From, <laughs> I, I can tell you from watching it. It's one of those films you can watch and you can go, oh, that's a good bit of directing. Or you could go, that is awful directing. Yeah. It's really what like you divisive. Yeah, and what mood you're in. Martin McDonough, The Banshees of Inner Sharon. Yeah. Spielberg, The Fablemans. I think it's between Cameron, Spielberg, and the Daniels. I think it's Cameron Spielberg as the old guard and maybe the Daniels. Wouldn't that be amazing if the Daniels won it against James Cameron and amazing. Steven Spielberg? Amazing. Um, and that's it. So look, that is a, that's the sort of cursive overview. Bevan, I hope that, hope that answers your question about what we think about it. We're going to be talking next week about the films we're most excited for next year and, and some of those will be included in that. But on the horizon, I think that's the lay of the land and you could be looking at a race for its best actor category, as we said, Fraser versus Butler, Best Actress, Yo versus Blanchett, Best Picture, I think it's going to be uh, Top Gun v Avatar in the terms of the blockbuster 10. Yeah. Avatar, I'm not saying critically it will get the back, but because it's got the, it's the beam, I feel like the money will buy themselves in, they will be able to buy themselves into the top Sorry, category. Sorry, did Fablemans get nominated for Best, it wasn't Best Picture, it was Best Drama. Best, um, no, Best Director. director. Fablemans, not, not Best Picture. Yeah. But I think that, that could still sneak in there. But I, I don't know if that's a best picture winner. I think mm. it's either, um, uh, what's, bloody hell, what are we just talking about? The best picture winner. Everything there? Everywhere. Everything Everywhere, maybe. Avatar, Whale. Banshees. Uh, Banshees. Maybe Banshees win it. And it's one of those, like um, Three Billboards, because it's slightly, th it's like a play. Yeah. There's something sort of like sophisticated and old school about it. I would be, I would think it's a stretch for it to win best picture, frankly. Yeah, but, me too. Anyway, that's just anticipating what's ahead. Exciting stuff, 2023. Can't wait to see it. Oh, Oscar's by the way, do you know what I forgot to say? What? When we did our best movie lines. Uh, my second favorite line, movie line, and uh, it's, it's a line that James and I will often say to each other when we're putting together the show, like literally plugging in the cameras and stuff. It's not in a movie, but it's film related. It's, Jada, I love you. GR Jane too. Can't, Can't wait, wait to see it. it. Uh-oh. <laughs> of course. I'll always do. Uh-oh. <laughs> and it's just, you know, that tone. Yeah. That like, uh-oh. Uh -oh. It's the most famous. Here comes Will uh -oh. Smith. Most huge uh-oh yeah. of all time. Uh-oh. And then when we were setting up, I was like, Javier Bardem yeah. is praying that Will Smith's going to win it. If yeah. she loses, he yeah. can't win. He's got the Chris Rock. I just remember the Madagascar now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. There you go. 2023, looking good. Guys, we've reached the end of the episode and with it, the end of the year and the end of the award ceremony. Look, we don't have a game for you. And the reason is because, well, we spent a lot of time thinking about the awards, but also we just wanted to spend this time actually to say thank you again. We gave you a shout out when we were doing our 50th episode, but it's been a year we were in, this podcast is in a different place at the end of the year than it was at the beginning of the year. And that is entirely because of you guys. If anyone has been listening for a year, you'll know that we didn't have people writing into the show yeah. a year ago. We still and ate food. Without <laughs> fail, every single time someone writes in, it's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And it just means that we have an engaged yeah. audience that wants to talk about film, hear yeah. what we think about film, respond to us. And that is always, yeah. always really, really fun. The fact that we can do this and talk now and know that people are listening 
is is a, is a huge thing for us yeah. and um we 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 love that when those emails come in it's literally the highlight of our day when we see them and even though i already loved films and tv yeah. i am more interested yes. now because of this outlet to be like oh that's gonna happen and that's coming out i cannot wait to see it dissect it will i like it will i hate it i want to yeah. hear other people so just it's so, really cool so thank you again for a great year we really appreciate it and we're looking forward to watching all of this new stuff next year with you guys just have a great new year have a great new year happy 2023 thank you thank you